Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we have been going through the letter to the Philippians. We've been looking really at the issue from Paul on the perspective of the struggle for joy. The reality is, is if you live the Christian life, if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, you've given him your heart, and he's your Savior, you realize that it's not easy. It's not simple. Stuff happens. Major stuff happens. And it's a struggle. In fact, sometimes it almost seems like because you are a Christian, that it's even more difficult now than it was before. It's more of a struggle. It's more more hardship. And it's like, how do I get through this? How? And, and you read something like we read in Paul's epistle here where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's talking about you having joy. How? I'm not happy. What's he talking about? And it's a struggle for joy. It's a struggle for joy in our Christian lives today. Well, what I have shared with you as we've gone through this series, that really, to be honest with you, God's not interested in your happiness. I'm just going to flat out say that. If you operate under that lie, you're always going to be defeated. He's not interested in you being happy. Because happiness is a fleeting feeling. Did you know what I mean? I'm going to be happy, but after a while, that feeling of happiness will go away. See, so God's not interested in your happiness, but he is interested in your joy. Now, do you say, well, isn't they, aren't they the same? No, no. Do you understand, when, when the Bible talks about joy, joy is a different concept. Joy is being able, even in the midst of your extreme difficulties, you can have joy because joy for you and I as believers is knowing that God is still everything to you. And you can look to him and know that I'm okay with him, even though my world is turning upside down, even though I don't know how I'm going to get through next week. And, and it's a struggle, a struggle for joy. And, and so what we've been looking at is we've gotten into chapter 3. Remember last week he gave us a warning he tells us to beware of those who would rob us of our joy. They're robbing us of that concept of Jesus being everything for us. So he's going to expand upon that a little bit more. He's going to talk about his own life today. And he's going to talk about what is a better way for you and I to, to live as Christians. What is a better way? Because for so many of us, we feel like, well, I've got to do this. I've got to, I, you know, church is open today. I've got to be at church. And the offering came by. I've got to give something here. And, and I've got to serve in this area. And I've got to do this. And I've got to do that. And, 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 and reality is, is you can get so wrapped up in all the stuff that you're doing, and you not have any joy. No joy. Have you, have you met, you know, I've been at church for a long time. I've been pastoring 20 years. Have, have you ever met burned out people in church? Have you ever met that where they work in the children's ministry and it's like your kids are scared of them? Because it's not like, hi, how are you? It's like, hey, get in here, sit down. Teach you about Jesus. Be quiet. Did you know what I mean? Some of you are laughing. You're like, yeah, that was my Sunday school teacher. We get burned out. Why? Because our, we, we, it's like the joy is gone. 
The joy is missing. They told us to be careful. To beware of those who would steal our joy. And so he's going to focus on how they're going to steal your joy. And so he looks at his own life here. And he talks about what's a better way. So let's look together at the passage. If you have your Bibles. But we're going to start at verse 4 through 11. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks they may have confidence in the flesh. I more so. Circumcised the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take this passage and we're going to divide it into two sections. We're going to look and see what his false confidence was in. We're going to talk about false confidence. We're going to see that in verses 4 through 8. And then we're going to see what truly matters. What truly matters in your Christian life, we're going to see that in verses 9 through 11. So let's talk about false confidence. First thing I want you to see here is this. Look with me at verse 5. He says, look, if anybody can, could boast in anything, if anyone could have confidence in anything, because remember, they got folks there that were trying to rob them of their joy, and, and they specifically were telling them that in order to be accepted with God, you had to do certain things. You had to live a certain way. You had to ascribe to certain things. In particular, in the, with the group that Paul's dealing with, the issue was whether or not they were keeping the Mosaic Law. And ultimately for the men, whether or not they were being circumcised. Basically becoming Jewish in order to be accepted by God. And he says, don't, don't follow that because that's going to rob your joy. And if anybody could have confidence in the stuff that they've done, and whether or not they were perfect, he says, I, I the more so had confidence. I mean, you can't get any better than me, Paul says. And so notice now he's going to tell us three things that he put his confidence in. And he's going to tell us the fourth thing here, what the reality of is. First of all, there's a confidence in our heritage. There's a confidence in our heritage. Look at what he says there, verse 4. If anyone thinks he has confidence, I more so. Here's what he says, verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What's he doing here? He's reflecting upon what his heritage is. He's talking about... Everything, can I be honest with you, that he had no control over. Okay? No control over it. Like, so for instance, uh, you know, circumcision is still practiced here in the United States uh, by some, and so we have some men here who've been circumcised. You were circumcised probably as a baby. Did you have any control over that? Where, like, when you, when you were in the hospital, did you all of a sudden stand up and say to your mom, Hey, that ain't happening. My vote is No. You have no choice in it. Right? None. I mean, 
so, I mean, so he's talking about things here that he's boasting in that he really had no control over. Look at what he says. A Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, you were born. A lot of you were born right here in this area. Did you have any control over where your mother had you? Did you have any control over the fact that you were born in the United States? None of you have that control. But yet we'll boast in our heritage. We'll boast about the families we came from. We'll boast about this. We'll boast about that. The reality is, listen, the reality is is that Paul says, you know what? That's false confidence. Look at the other thing he talks about. There was There is a confidence in our education. Education? Does he talk about that here? Look with me. Verse 5. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. What's that talking about? He's talking about his viewpoint of the law and the fact that he was educated to be a Pharisee of the strict conservative group of the Jews. And so he's saying here that, that some of, you know, some people like to say, well, you know, I was educated in Harvard. Do you ever, you ever notice that when it comes time to, to elections, they talk about how smart the politicians are? And they'll say, well, he went to Harvard or he went to Yale. And, you know, and, and then, you know, that's wonderful. But then you read a little bit further and you find out he was a D student, you know, or a C student. But the point is, is we put great stock in what? Education. And some of you here, some of you here are seeing yourself as less than because of what? Because you don't have education. Because when high school was over, you said, that's it. I'm not going any further. Or maybe you didn't finish high school. See what we put our confidence in? And some of us, when it comes to our acceptance with God, we place our confidence in what? Our heritage? Our education. Here's what else he does. There's a confidence in our religious actions. Now notice the religious actions that Paul is talking about here. I think it's interesting. Look with me at verse 6. He says, concerning zeal, I was zealous for God. I persecuted the church. I was doing it for the Lord. I was murdering people who were professing Jesus for the Lord. That's zeal. Look at what else he says. Concerning righteousness, which is the law, blameless. Now, you know, we talked about this in, in Sunday school a little bit. We talked about, you know, you hear people say, oh, I keep the Ten Commandments. You ever hear somebody say that, I keep the Ten Commandments? Nobody keeps the Ten Commandments. But notice what Paul's saying. When it come, came to the law... He was what? Blameless. Now, buddy, that, that's quite a claim, isn't it? When it came to religious activity, he had his, he, at one point he had his confidence. He said, you can't get any better than me. What are you putting your confidence in? Is it because you're here? Is it because of the Bible you carry? How much you gave in the offering? Because you were baptized? Is how much you're involved? Is, is how long you've been serving in a certain capacity? What, what, are you, what are you putting your confidence in? You see, you see the things that we can distract ourselves with by putting ourselves... You know, in fact, there, you know, there's a little book out that, that's really good. You may want to read it. It's called The Search for Significance. And, and there's a little trap there, and it's called Performance Trap. Performance Trap, where the problem with when you put your confidence in your education, your heritage, and your religious acts... The problem is, is you think you're okay, but there's always somebody who's going to have more education, that's going to have a better heritage, and who's going to do more stuff than you. 
And because of that, you're going to look at them and compare yourself to them, and you're going to think, well, God must not love me anymore. He must not accept me anymore. Because I can't do it the way they do it. Or I messed up. I mean, I'm ashamed of this, you know. I'm, I'm ashamed of, of the church in this sense because we have divorce. And people, it's not that everybody wants to be divorced, but man, when we had divorced people, how did we treat them in the church years ago? Was it good? No, it wasn't good. Did we make them feel less than? Yeah, we sure did, didn't we? Did we make them feel that God didn't accept them anymore? You better believe it. And it's all because we were putting our confidence in the wrong thing. Now, here's the fourth statement that we see from here. You see it in verses 7 and 8. Look at what he says there, because he's going to wrap up this whole thing about this whole issue of confidence. What we see is false confidence. Look at what he says. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, that, that is, what I achieved... What I achieved, remember now, some of the stuff that he was acclaiming as an achievement, he had no choice in. The fact that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that's the perfect day for a Jewish baby boy to be circumcised. That was up to his mom and dad, wasn't it? Look at what it says. What I attained and what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count them all lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, our English translators are very kind to us. That word rubbish there, the actual Greek word is a manure pile. Here's what he's saying. Compared to the relationship with Christ. They are meaningless. Do you hear that? Compared to the relationship with Jesus Christ, all of that stuff, what your heritage is, what your education is, what you're doing as far as your religious acts and what you think you're attaining and achieving and how perfect you are. And woo, you went to school, you went to church every, every day this year. Wow! Get a life. None of that means anything. There's no brownie point chart. All of it is meaningless. Except for one thing. Knowing Jesus. Walking with Jesus. Having a relationship with Jesus. That's what's important. Do you understand what I'm saying? And some of us will we'll beat ourselves up. Well, you know, things have been tough. And, you know, and so this week I couldn't give as much as I used to give. Because it's either, it's either fixing the car or giving to you, Jesus. What do I do? You fix the car. God's not sitting at a cosmic control board saying, Oh, they didn't give it all this week. Do you see the trap we've placed ourselves in through the years? You see, you see how we've destroyed ourselves? How, how we have, as Paul would say, how we've robbed ourselves of our joy? Our joy? False confidence. So what does he say? What truly matters? Look with me. Verse 9. Look at what he says. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. What's he wanting here? He wants a righteousness that comes through faith, not actions. 
He wants a righteousness. He wants, a, he wants an understanding of his standing before an acceptance with God that comes through what? His faith in Jesus Christ alone and what Jesus did rather than in what in his actions. Why, why would he want that? Because he understands that the righteousness that comes through faith, that is what is the most perfect for your life. Because if you're basing it on your actions... Tell me, how consistent are you? How well do you do things all the time? Tell me, by the way, have you gone all day without a bad thought? Have you gone all day without having an attitude towards somebody? Oh, I'm doing good, George. Well, go to Walmart. Seriously. And if you can walk out of there without an attitude, you're doing good. Do you know what I mean? Just try to make it out the parking lot. Try to make it in the parking lot. It starts from the beginning, doesn't it? Okay. The, the, the reality is, is that we're not perfect. Our actions are not perfect. Can, can I set you free? You are never going to be perfect as far as your giving, as far as your attendance, as far as what you do for Jesus. You're never going to be perfect. Now here's how it sets you free. Your acceptance with him has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what Jesus did for you on the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you couldn't do anything for salvation. His acceptance of you is not because of you. His acceptance of you is because of what Jesus did. Period. Bottom line. And so the apostle here, Paul is saying here, look, I want a righteousness. I want righteousness that comes through my faith in Jesus, not by keeping the law. Because, you know what even Peter said? We couldn't keep it. You can't keep it. You know what I mean? You can't keep it. So he goes on in verse 10, and verse 10 is my, one of my favorite verses. I, all of the Bible is favorite to me, but it is really one of my favorite verses. I like the way the NIV translates it. Some of you have an NIV. It really brings out what the Greek text is saying here. It says, I want to know Jesus. The New King James, which is what we use here at our church, says that I may know him. Here's what he's saying. He wants to personally know and experience Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to know. All of that other stuff is meaningless. What he wants to know in his life is to know Jesus and to know him personally. And look at how he describes that knowledge here. He says, I want to know him, that I may know him. And what? The power of his resurrection. What's he talking about? That's the Holy Spirit, folks. The Holy Spirit working in their lives. Forget what you're seeing on TV. That's, sometimes that's extreme. That is meaningless. What you need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is in your life right now as a believer, and He's doing several things in your life. What's He doing? Well, I think all of us know He convicts us of our what? Sins. He teaches us when you open the Word of God and you begin to understand. It's because the Holy Spirit is the one who what? Gives you understanding. 
He guides you. He prays for you. And he wants to know that power in his life. And to notice something here, a lot of people like to skip over this verse, but we need to include it in there. And the fellowship of his suffering. What in the world is that, George? He wants to know suffering as Jesus did. What? I don't want to go through a bad time. Hey, reality is, folks, you're going to go through a bad time. Right? Right? That's life. Remember, the Bible doesn't tell you why you suffer. It assumes that you're going to suffer. But the reality is the fellowship of sufferings with him is that you know that as I know him personally, he's there with me. Like the fourth person in the furnace in the book of Daniel. He's there with you as you go through it. The fellowship of sufferings, being made conformed unto his death. What does that mean? Being like Jesus. He wants to know him. See, that's what's important. You say, well, you know, isn't all that other stuff important? Folks, you can do all that other stuff and not know Jesus. Did you hear me? You can come to church, you can give money, you can serve and do all that stuff and not know Jesus and one day go to hell. And trust me, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 that one day they'll appear before him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these great things in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's a scary thing. The reality is, is this. What's, what really matters is, is you walking with Christ and responding to him. So what does Paul tell us to do here? What really matters? Look at verse 11. This is what it means. If by any means I may attain the resurrection of death. What's he talking about here? He wants to persevere in his faith to the end. That's what he's talking about here. He knows he's going to be resurrected from the dead. He's knowing, he knows he's going to stand in the resurrection and be rewarded by Christ. So this is what he's talking about, is that if by any means I want to persevere until the what? The end. Is that what you want to do? That no matter what life throws at you, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how much our culture changes, that you are going to hang tough and trust in Him and hold on to Him no matter what your failures are. And let's just stop for a moment, everybody, right? You're going to fail. You're going to mess up. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. You are a sinner. And you are saved because of His grace. Did you understand what I'm saying? But He wants to, and my, my hope is, is that your desire is, is Lord, I want to finish the race. How many, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been a believer now almost 30 years now. How many have not finished the race? How many have given up? How many do we no longer see in our churches? I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that what you want to hear? Enter into the joy of my rest. You say, okay, George, well, how, how do we wrap this up? Where, where, where do we bring this down to? Well, let me, let me give you a couple questions to think about, and then I'm going to give you an action point. 
What are you putting your confidence in? What are you putting your confidence in? Is it your heritage? You know, sometimes I have hard talks with my kids. We don't, I don't like them. They definitely don't like them. And, uh, and sometimes I, I say something like this. Do not believe that simply because you are the son of a pastor or a daughter of a pastor that you're going to be okay. Do you know Jesus yourself? What are you putting your confidence in? Is it your church attendance? Is it your giving? Is it all the good stuff you do? Have you got your own personal brownie point chart? In case the Lord messes up? First of all, he's not taking it, taking it, okay? What are you putting your confidence in? Is it your education? Is it your heritage? Here's the second thing. Do you recognize how meaningless it is? Do you recognize how meaningless it is? It's all meaningless. What we, what we put our confidence in, what we, what we're doing for quote acceptance with God is all meaningless. Except one thing. Jesus. Jesus. That's where we need to put our confidence in. That's where we need to rest in. Did you know what I'm saying? So here's what we've got to do. Here's your action point this week. Ask the Spirit to help you to personally know Jesus. Ask the Spirit to help you to personally know Him. To get to know Him. And for some of you, we've got two types of people here. We've got, we got folks here who, who, uh, who have no confidence, period, because you've messed up so many times. You, you're like, well, you know what? That's all nice and dandy, but there's no way with, none of that stuff's gonna mean because you don't know what I've done, George, and you don't know how I've messed up, and, and it's all over! No, it's not all over. And again, I don't care. Because you can have confidence, not because of what you didn't do, or what you, how, you can have confidence because it's not based upon your failures, it's based upon Jesus and your trust in Him and your faith in Him and His acceptance of you where you're at. Did you understand what I'm saying? Isn't that wonderful? That's for the first group. The second group is the folks that you're doing all the right things. You came from the right family. You got the education. And, 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 and you think you're on top of the world. Be careful. Because life has a way of trashing your trophies. And he will strip those things from you. And he will strip your confidence to bring you to the place where you realize that you were putting your trust in something that was what? Meaningless. And that you need to put your trust in who? Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? We are accepted 
with God if you're a believer. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.